Knowing yourself is a key step in self-actualization. My next guest reminds me so much of that. We've heard that before. We know that. Easier said than done, right? When you look under the hood, sometimes it gets a bit scary. But not so much if you take in Dr. Oren's suggestions. Not so much. He really broke it down to make it user-friendly and reminded me, and it's so, so important, to maximize your uniqueness and use it well. We all, no matter who we are, came into this world with unique gifts. But sometimes we don't spend enough time looking at them, right? We start thinking about all the things we can't do. And some of the most brilliant minds and the most amazing people that I admire and are my mentors, they only have one thing they're awesome sauce at. And the rest, they're like, not my thing. Never learned. I don't know how to do that. I outsource that. So what I'm going to ask you to do is really listen to this podcast with an open mind and know that you are so freaking powerful. If you just took a deep breath in and thought about all the things you can bring the world. And guess what? When you know all the things that I call my sticky wickens that eh, I don't know if I think those are my highlights. They might not be my strengths. It's okay. Accept them unconditionally. They're part of you. They're part of everyone. Acknowledge it and then let's really go for it. I think about that when I talk to my son who's such an amazing artist and so compassionate and just has so many amazing people skills but he's really not great at math. He struggles with it and he beats himself up all the time and he spends so much of his day trying to master math all these years later. And guess what? Not that I don't want him to have basic math skills, but for what he wants to do in life, I don't care if he's that A-plus student. I really want him to put his energy and time and really just celebrate all his best awesome sauce. I always call it awesome sauce, but the most amazing things that make him who he is, his uniqueness enjoy. And as always, we appreciate you listening. I love that you spread the word and like it and rate it and support us on Patreon. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. All right, I've been telling you that I'm bringing on a special guest this week. I'm so pumped. 
I'm so excited. I told him I was stalking him and all he's done. Ugh, it just made my hair curl. All right, my hair is already curly, but it's just so amazing what this man has done. But before I bring him on, let me tell you about Dr. Oren Davis. Dr. Davis is a self-actualization engineer who runs the Quality of Life Laboratory, where he conducts research on the factors that enable people to do and be their best, including flow, creativity, hypnosis, which I have to find out more about, and mentoring. In addition to advising ed tech and HR tech startups, he consults for companies from startups to multinationals on hiring strategies, culture, innovation, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and employee well-being. Dr. Davis is a professor of creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship, business, psychology, and gives workshops and lectures globally. Fun fact, which I got to find out about this, Dr. Davis earned the first doctorate in positive psychology. Welcome, Dr. Davis. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Sandy. All right. So I always ask all my guests, if you were going to just say one word to describe your past 30 days what would it be and why? Intense. Ooh, intense. I haven't had that word in a year. Tell us why. It's a word I love, but um, intensity is something that I think is a very mixed experience. It has a, a lot of different potential valences to it. But in particular, it's been a way of being very focused. There's been a lot going on in a lot of different directions. As, as you mentioned, I wear a lot of different hats. So yeah. uh, I've, been, I've been doing a lot more hat switching over the last 30 days than I usually do. So uh, it's, it's been a lot. I've enjoyed it. It's been great. And I'm very glad I've been doing it all. But it is a lot. Okay. So why have you been doing so much in the past 30 days? It's just a matter of what what comes down the calendar at that time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I get that. It sounds like you like having a lot of projects, though. You can handle that. I definitely love it. And as I'm fond of saying, I'm never bored. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. I just don't want to get bored, right? That would be horrible to be bored. And I don't think you'll ever be bored. All right. So before we get into it, I always ask my peeps for some questions for you. And the biggest question they had, which I'm sure you've answered a million times is, how did you come up with reverse engineer? And that was your concept, correct? Uh, I didn't invent the concept of reverse engineering. I mean, the idea of reverse engineering has been out there for a very long time. So you, like, because I read a lot about it, it's who, so you just, are someone that truly believe in the concept. Yeah, especially as it applies to the world of self-help and to the advice that we give. And um, this is something that I found also was something my parents talked to me about as well. Um, when they gave me advice, um, I think that they were, uh, they wanted me to follow their advice, but you know, more than anything else, I think they wanted me to make it my own. And, you know, they wanted to be able to give me advice whenever they felt like it. But I think that that was part of how they uh, also gave me some freedom mm. to think for myself. It's like, look, you know, we need to parent and we, we need to tell you what we need to tell you. And, it, you know, the older <laughs> yeah. you get, though, the more the more it's like we can't dictate to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> OK, but it sounds like they were pretty cool that they said, all right, we're going to give you this. But then we want you to think for yourself. Yeah. They were, they, my parents were cool that way. 
Yeah, I mean, which is huge, you know? All right. Also so, hard, though, because it meant that the expectations were high, and, uh, you know, not thinking carefully definitely didn't work out very well for me. Okay. So l- this is so intriguing. So let's back up. So when you were growing up, all right, and let's say you're around 10 years old, what was your life like? I mean, uh, I was a yeshiva student, so uh, I was in parochial school. I was, you know, in school for much longer than many other students. So um, oh. I had, you know, my my morning classes of the general studies, and then uh, in the, you know, and and then in the afternoon it was Judaics, so um, Hebrew, Bible, um, other other assorted uh, other assorted things relating to you know the Jewish faith, and oh. um, just a pretty long days. I had quite a bit of homework. Um, because, you know, you've got, you know, you've got much longer classes and we were, you know, getting out of school at 3.15. And this, this is, and yes, in fourth grade, we were getting out of school at 3.15. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, by the, by the time I would get home, um, I, get, I think at the time I was, I was 10, I think I was uh, figure skating. So like that was, okay. that was one of my hobbies was figure skating. So I, I was doing that also. Uh, it was a very good time. But I think that between school and figure skating, there wasn't time for much else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not much of a social life going on there. But when, What's you, social when life? you look back at Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, when you Alright, okay. So now balance of life. When you look back at it though, do you look back with and you have like a big smile on your face? Like you think, wow, those were good times, or do you go, man? was, you know, that a lot of work? I think it was both. Um, I mean, there, there were some good times in that in that time. There were also things that were not as fun. I think that that's true for almost everyone. So I, you know, went to a public school, so I had no idea, you know, how intense that was. But it does sound to me that it would have driven me crazy because I need a lot of freedom. Like I need to go outside and play a long time. But you also had your hobby of figure skating. So maybe that was your big outlet. In a lot of ways it was. Um, I, you know, one, one of the artists that I like is Billy Joel and I just stole his line from Piano Man that um, skating was my way of forgetting about life for a while. Okay. Did you compete? I did not. I uh, wasn't, I really wasn't good enough to compete. I enjoyed it. And yeah. maybe, maybe if I'd ever gotten good enough to compete, perhaps I might have, <laughs> but I never got anywhere yeah. near good enough. But you had fun. And that's I the most absolutely loved thing. it. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, honestly, my skating days are one of the things that I, I really, really miss. And I, I got to go skating once when I was in graduate school and goodness me, did it feel good to put the skates on again. It's something I probably only got to do a handful of times, uh, probably since I started uh, middle school. But every time I've gotten the skates on, it's been an amazing experience. I think that, you know, I I minored in dance in school and same thing. I I thought I was going to be on Broadway. So I went to, I don't know if you ever heard of Montclair University. Sure. It's right outside of New York City because I thought I was going to be a big Broadway dancer and it didn't work out. But still in all. I loved it. And every, even now, when I dance, even around the house, it just puts a big smile on my face. Mm-hmm. But I must say, I go to New York all the time, and I have to ask, did you ice skate there in the big rink at Well, first Center? of all, I was a roller skater. Oh, this is figure skating on okay. quads. 
Which, uh, incidentally, uh, is, I believe, how Tara Lipinski got her start as well. Oh, man. See, I've never seen that. It's a lot okay, of fun. Okay, so I still have to ask. I still have to ask. Did you ice skate at Rockefeller Center? Um, I think I have once or twice. Um, I'm not as much into ice skating. Yeah. It's a whole different balance, just... and it's a completely different thing. I mean, I mean, I can get around the rink on ice skates, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not where the feel is. And I don't know, there's something about... Uh, maybe it's just my own nostalgia from like what I was doing. But there's something about the feel of the wood and the sound of the wood. Mm. It's different from the scrape of the ice. And I I always... Uh, I don't know, something about that... The, you know, just the sound of the wood on that was... You know, it definitely... That definitely speaks home to me in certain ways. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at one of your thoughts here, and I want to jump ahead because I had a lot of questions about this. And one young man says, I see that you talk about, he said, maximize your uniqueness and use it well. His question, I always make up names, Billy Bob, wants to know, how do you find your uniqueness? That's a big question. It is a big question. So I think, and it's one I actually get a lot, but I think that, you know, first of all, everybody's got it. And one of the things is that people often overlook their own uniqueness. And so what I often tell people is start with your preferences. Just those okay. little things right. that you like and don't like. Okay. Look, at I'm making lists down of my own. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, I mean, look at the things that you like. Look at the things that you don't like. Um, what, you know, it's like I like carrots. I dislike turnips. I, you know, like broccoli. I dislike cauliflower. Um, I like Chagall. I don't like Rembrandt. Uh, like, you know, and, and each of these little things, they come together and they often give you some patterns, especially if you look at you know, the things that you like, the things you don't like. You, you do start to find some underlying patterns in it that start to tell yeah. you about yourself, the people that you like. The places you've lived, the places you've been, those those other favorites that you have, like let's say your favorite place to vacation, all those you know funky little things that make great security questions on um, on uh, password uh, reminders, yeah. but like all those little things, the reason why they're there is that they're unique. They're things that other people either probably don't know about you, or you know even if they do, they don't know the combination of information like that. That's what it is, and each of those things. They add up, and sometimes people are looking for, like, the one thing that makes you unique. And that's really where people fall into the pit. It's that sometimes there isn't one thing that makes you unique. It's that this and that and that and that and that, and that combination just gives you a totally different perspective than anybody else. You know what? I love that. Because you're right. I do, you think of it like, well, what's my unique thing? Am I funny? Am I smart? Am I this? Am I that? But I never thought to break it down into smaller things. It's so much more manageable. Like, like mm -hmm. you said, like, do you like carrots? Do you like art? Do you not? And then it comes together. Oh my God. I mean, it sounds like so duh, but it's amazing how it just changes. I don't feel as overwhelmed when I think about it in that way. And it's one of the things that helps is that when, when we can break these down into, into smaller items and just like the, the little likes and dislikes, we put them together and suddenly we're, we've got a different tack on things than everybody else does. Yeah, I like that. And I'm, I'm going to tell Billy Bob, I think you should do that. Just start writing all the little things you like and don't think about just, I love the fact that you said it doesn't have to be just one 
big thing. All right, I want to back up a bit here because, man, have you done a lot with your life and you're doing a lot. Have you always been that highly motivated? Like you said, what social life? Are you always that excited and passionate about so many different things? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know what? So- it's something I always advise people is you always have to remember that that is both for better and for worse. And there are downsides to it, which people often don't think about. Um, and just, you know, just to give me a view into that, like one of the things that I struggle with is a bit of workaholism. Okay. Maybe more than a little, but I mean, you know, we, we, yeah. we generally tend to be conservative when we find ourselves admitting these things. But I'm also a bit of a workaholic and that, you know, that, that has its downsides also. And, you know, true, true story from graduate school, I decided I should probably take a vacation one day. And I called up a good friend of mine and I, and I said, what do I do on vacation? And I was serious. <laughs> I just called him up to ask him, what do I do on vacation? Because I couldn't figure it out. And he's like, you should probably try not working. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but God. then what am I going to do? Okay, so now I have to ask, where'd you go and what did you do? Uh, I took a day trip to San Diego. I was living in Los Angeles at the time because uh, I did grad school out in California. And so I took a day trip to San Diego and uh, just really, I, I do love cities. So walking around San Diego was a lot of fun and uh, definitely definitely got to know the city a bit. Uh, enjoyed uh, some of the aspects of the city, rode the metro, which I don't know why. I have a thing for metros. I love them. So yeah. uh, rode the metro, uh, got around... Um, Try some pretty decent chocolate. Uh, I forget exactly where it was somewhere somewhere on the. Man, uh, you really remember? <laughs> yeah, it was like it was like this honeycomb chocolate. It was actually quite good. And uh, oh then just uh, walking around the Grant Hotel, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I, um, I don't remember quite all the details. This was about eleven years ago, eleven, twelve years ago. No, this so. is pretty good. This is pretty good. But also, about Ball Park was really how- nice too. Yeah. I think it's funny how you said you took vacation and it was a day. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking you went away for a week, you know? It was like a day, which is a huge deal to you. Yeah, I don't take too many vacation days. I'm pretty bad about that. All right, so that was my next question from this girl. How do you prevent burnout, and does he ever get burnout? So, uh, first of all, the answer to that is, I'm just going to be really honest here, um... I came very, very close to having full-fledged burnout at one point. Um, there mm. was, um, there was, there was a period where I, I really was, I, I was, I was just so exhausted, and I came very, very, very close to throwing in the towel on a whole lot of things, and not on life, but on yeah, no, no, a whole I get lot it. of the hats that I'm wearing. And I came very close to just putting them in the box and saying, I'm done here. And there was one thing that I found that I really couldn't walk away from. And it's a very, it's a very personal project. It's not public yet. But there was, there's a piece of that work that I was doing. I looked at that and I said, I can't put this away. I just can't. Mm. And that one thing... Um, just gave me enough to keep my hat in the ring just a little bit longer. But uh, one of the but since then I've been a little bit more strategic and I think part of it is 
that I had to adjust a lot of my expectations about how things go and how things work and how they should work. You know, a lot of th- things along those lines. Yeah. So do you now, like, will you take a day and say, I'm not going to work on Sunday or I'm going to take off and enjoy friends? Like, do you, or you don't need that? Well, so funnily enough, you actually <clears throat> hit on my little secret. Which is oh. that uh, as an Orthodox Jew, I observe the Sabbath. Gotcha. And, and the Jewish Sabbath is a day of being completely unplugged. And so, um, and it's one of, and the more I, the more I engage with the Sabbath, the better off I do. And so that is one of the things mm. that despite the fact that I am a workaholic, um, I only work six, di- I work only six days a week. And that seventh day really is a day off. I unplug. There's no email, no phone, no nothing for for about 25 hours. And I, I take that very seriously. I think that is the best thing ever. And by the way, for your listeners that um, don't want to bring in the religious aspects of the Sabbath, but they like how it goes, there's actually a great website for this called SabbathManifesto.org. And it talks about okay. how to do a secular Sabbath. Because, you know, obviously not everybody's Jewish. Um, so, yeah, but, yeah. But, the, but it shows you kind of what we do um, uh, in, a, in a more secularized fashion. Mm, and yeah. people, people are able to engage with, the, you know, with that <clears throat> secular sabbatical and really take the time and enjoy the day, step away from their work and all that stuff. And it, and it just works out very well for them. And it's, it's advice I've given to CEOs. It's advice I've given, yeah. you know, uh, as an executive coach, as a consultant. As, it's just, and, and even to my students, I tell them, you need one day off, completely, totally off, where you can do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah, to unplug. I yeah. think it's amazing. I know when I do it, every time I do it, I'm more productive and more creative when I come back into it. But, you know, sometimes I forget. You know, I forget to do it and I get caught up and I think I can't, I don't have enough time, but it's ridiculous because when I do it, then when I come back, I feel so much more refreshed and pumped up. Yeah. I find that when I'm, when I'm ready to get back to work after the Sabbath, um, I, I'm, I'm ready to go again. And it's a funny thing, but, um, if you, if you ever uh, listen to Jordan Peterson, he said something very funny that he figured out, uh, I think he said something to the effect of the fact that he figured out experimentally that writing three hours a day is good, writing four hours a day is actually counterproductive. I've never heard that. Never, ever heard that. that, that I'm that was, all these little notes. Yeah, that, that's an experience that he talked about. Um, I, I can't speak to my own experience that way. Um, yeah. But, I mean, part of it is that, you know, we, we said what, what, what was more burnout for me was the expectations that I had, and there came a point at which... I think I wasn't so motivated by the work anymore. And it's like when you, when you lose your love of doing the work, yeah, that's when you start to get the burnout. Um, and I started to feel like some of what I was doing was an unnecessary grind. And that's mm. when I needed to really get back in touch with what are the things, like, what do I truly love about this? What is the yeah. part of this that I can't walk away from? Which is the project that you said you're still working on right now? Was that mm-hmm. what you said, like your private yeah. project? Which is yeah, it's a very so cool. private project. I haven't really shown it much yet. Uh, hopefully, yeah, you know, at some point it will come out. But it's it's going to be a while. This project's still 
quite a bit in the making and is a long way from finished already, but I, I admit that I am very excited about it. Um, I mean, it, it, it kept me in the game, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to bringing it out when it's time. All right, big question here. I have so many questions for you, I'm thinking they're going to get so mad at me if I don't get a few in. And the biggest question is, do you hypnotize people? Yeah. You do? Yeah. And can you do it virtually? Or do they have to be in there in person? This young lady wants to know. No, it can be done virtually. Um, and many, there are a great many hypnotists right now that are doing their work virtually. Um, I would point out I'm not a hypnotherapist and I don't do therapy. Um, I'm more interested in phenomenology. So, like, what is it that hypnotized people can do that, you know, not hypnotized people can't do? Turns out to be a rather difficult question. Yeah. Are there people that truly cannot be hypnotized? It's a very, 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 very small group, but yeah. (laughs) And uh, you also have to differentiate. When people ask this question, they're often not differentiating between can't and won't. Because they're not the same. Can't means like okay. it's impossible. Won't is, you know, that that's that's a matter of desire. Yeah. Not everybody wants to do it. Not everybody is interested in it. And, mm. you know, that's, that's, that's a very different question. Have you ever been hypnotized yourself? Oh, gosh, I've lost count of how many times. Oh, really? Well, I mean, first of all, I can hypnotize yeah. myself, so like that—that's a lot of fun. Oh. But I've also been hypnotized. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm a member of APA Division Thirty, so I know a hell of a lot of hypnotists. So you know, <laughs> sometimes if, it's, if we need to do a demonstration or something, we'll just like you know, hey, hey, dude, come here a second. And like, here, watch this. <laughs> okay, so you can hypnotize yourself. Well, most people can, and you know, once they learn how to do it, it's um, you know, hypnosis is like almost any other skill. Uh, takes time to develop, but anybody can learn it. Is it, and I, I'm, listen, I don't know if it's true or not, is it similar to meditation in that meditational state? Ah, uh, similar. So, I mean, those those who are really curious about this, off my website, there is an article that I wrote with uh, Dr. Vera Ludwig about uh, the relationships between uh, hypnosis, mindfulness, and flow, and like what oh. the differences are between them. Oh, cool. I'm interested. So they are related, but um, I mean, in, in all cases, there is this highly focused experience that people have. Um, and, you know, flow, hypnosis, mindfulness, they all involve a state where you're significantly paying attention and you're very much focused. With flow, flow is not a state in and of itself. Uh, flow does have the trance state aspect to it. But flow is an experience that goes beyond the trance state. I had uh, a woman come on who was a hypnotist, and she mostly works with trauma people, and she's seen so much success, so much success. And just listening to her and how many people she helped, it was just mind-blowing. And I don't know that much about it, but I do know that she said it was the same thing for her that she went and to a hypnotist for to stop smoking or something like that and she fell in love with it so much that she just decided this is something she was going to learn and she changed her whole path doctor and start and does it full time and that's somebody you know that was later in life i think she was in her 50s and she switched it up i didn't realize it could be that impactful in so many different areas 
For some people, it is, yes. Um, and it's certainly it's certainly been impactful for me, and it's something I've really enjoyed. Um, and, but yeah. more than anything else, I think I've enjoyed like the art of thinking about it, and that's like just in some cases like the philosophical questions that come with it, and yeah. you know just thinking about how the mind works, how you know, like what kinds of scripts we write for ourselves, um, what kinds of narratives we tell ourselves how we change those narratives and, you know, what the role of attention and focus have in the way that we live our lives. All right. So I have to switch gears here and this has been bothering me. I've been trying to figure it out. One of your tips, but I've never heard this before. Humility requires being cognizant of your successes and accepting the compliments and respect you have earned. I need to know about this a little bit more. Because I've never heard that. So often what we, often what we think of humility, uh, people often conflate be, um, being humble and being self-effacing. But the fact of the matter is, humility requires that we be honest with ourselves and honest with each other. And that you can't have that honesty without you know, being aware of the respect that you've earned. But some of it is being cognizant of the fact that what you've earned you you have earned but others can have earned it too there's a difference between you know mm. I, i've hit these levels and you know that makes me special or i'm special because i've hit certain levels or i deserve you know something more or less that's not really the way to think about it it's really a matter of like listen i've done what i've done and i've spent the time doing the things that I have done, that I've made the accomplishments that I've made, some of that's luck. And we must acknowledge the role of luck in our lives. And mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge the role of fortune. But we also have to, we don't, we don't ignore the hard work that we've put in. Yeah. And most people, they're ignoring one or the other. A lot of people, they get self-effacing and say, oh, I was just lucky. You're generally yeah, not yeah, yeah, just yeah. lucky. You're like, yeah. you, you also earned it too. Like, there are pieces of it that you earned and pieces of it that you didn't. And that's true for almost any success, any success you look at. Uh, that, that's, that's where the, you know, the old saw comes that, the, that success is where opportunity and preparedness meet. Well, the opportunity part, that's luck. The preparedness part, yeah. not so much. That part yeah. is, and, and you know, you've earned that. And to, to say that, like, oh, I just got lucky. No, you didn't. Mm-hmm. You also busted your you know, butt. <laughs> you know, I, when I read that, I was hoping you were going to say that because that is one of my, I call it my sticky wickets, that if someone compliments me, instead of just saying thank you, I don't know why I do this, I'll make a joke about it. Or the same thing, I'll say, oh, I got lucky. Instead of just like, no, I worked my butt off to get there. I don't, I don't know why I do that. Well, because we're, we're afraid of being seen as arrogant or braggarts. And the funniest thing is being honest about what we're good at is not bragging. We are actually good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas but the yeah, thing is, I loved where we go from honesty to bragging is what entitlements may come with the accomplishments and so on. That may be a little different. Okay, say that again. The entitlements may be, like, when, when we're saying that we're entitled to status or something else because of our accomplishments, you know, that's bragging. Or, or like, when, when okay. we feel Got that it. our accomplishments put us above others, that's bragging. Yeah. Whereas, like, our successes yeah. being our successes, you know, like, if, if you're the number one podcaster in America, 
Like, okay, then you're the number one podcaster in America. That's (laughs) (laughs) you just are, and like that, and so it is. Um, If you go around saying like I'm better than any other podcaster out there, well, now I got some questions about your character, perhaps. But if you're saying yes, I I built this to being the number one podcast. Yes, you also got a little lucky with that. You almost certainly did, but you also probably would have worked very hard to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. So tell me how you got into this profession. I need to know. There you are in high school, going to college. What, what got you in this direction? Ooh, a curiosity killed the cat satisfaction brought him back. <laughs> I mean, I was always interested in the mind and um, oh, I love mental, that. Like, oh, mental abilities. I, I'd always been interested so I, in... I, by the way, I've mental. never heard that either. I never heard that either. <laughs> Which which one? I heard the fir- I've heard the first part about the curiosity killed the cat, but yes, that's actually brought it back. I never heard that. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, so I I was always interested in human potential. I mean, I I was always very curious about how we transcend our limits, and that's something like. Going all the way back to childhood, I remember I remember thinking about that, asking questions about that, wondering, you know, just how far can human beings go? What can we do? What are we capable of? Mm. How do we transcend our human limitations? And that that just that that's just something I stayed with and I, I was interested in, you know, human capability, you know, the mental, the physical and, and to some extent the spiritual. So, you know, theology yeah. is another thing that I enjoy. Um, had some had some fun debates with atheists in my time. Uh, that, that's always fun, especially <laughs> because you know people say to me, you know, how can you be a scientist and still be religious? Um, and since I'm Jewish, I answer the question with a question: How could you be a scientist and not be religious? <laughs> I love that. You know, is that your big answer? Because if there's more, I'm writing it down because I get asked this all the time. I, I need to. So know. there is more. Or is that it? Yeah. No, there, there, there's definitely more, but um, I think, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, what I find is that um, atheism and religion are both good at explaining one of two unexplainables, but are not as good at explaining the other one. So religion is really good at explaining the existence of the universe. Okay. It, there, there was a deity that put this in motion and got this all going and, you know, all-powerful deity, at least relative to us, if not all-powerful in the grand scheme of things, that put this all together and made it all and this is the system that was made by that deity. Um, what it has a much harder time explaining is human cruelty and suffering. Mm. Religion has a hard time explaining that one. Yeah. And particularly because the question that will inevitably come up is, so how could an all-powerful deity allow all these things to happen? And the common answer is, uh, we don't know. Like, you know, at the deity's level, that probably makes sense. But at the human level, it doesn't. And for some people, that's going to sound like a bit of a cop-out. Whereas... Absolutely. Whereas atheism... Um, explains all the human cruelty and, you know, um, and the human experience and human suffering and the human condition, they can explain that quite well. But when you ask them to explain the origins of the universe, eventually they they end up with cop-out answers too. It just came into being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. You don't get to you don't get to have that simple of an answer. And at the end of the day, I find that you know what what makes the difference between an atheist and a religious person is whether they ex- which of the premises is harder for them to accept. And some people don't really want to think yeah. about it because each of those premises, you know, the, the, those unexplainables are hard. Yeah. And people, people, and, and that's why it's called faith, right? I mean, and people say religion is not rational. Of course it's not. It's faith. <laughs> and the whole point is, as a scientist, the more I've seen of the world, the more, the more yeah. I've got faith that uh, this all didn't just come into being. I have, do you have any of your debates recorded? I would love to no. hear you because so many people that I know just go, Sandy, don't talk politics or religion. But I think if you're coming from a respect for the other person and from a love-based state, I, I learned so much, you know? I want to hear what they have to say. I think also a lot of it just comes from the fact that, you know, for me, there are atheists in my family as well as religious people. I mean, my grandfather, may rest in peace, was a Shoah survivor. And I, and that definitely did a number on his faith. And I don't judge that. Mm. And, yeah. you know, and it's, it's the sort of thing like, you know, there's a difference between disagreement and judgment. I may, my grandfather and I may not have seen eye to eye on religion, but... Who am I to judge his views and his experiences after everything he's seen? What am yep. I supposed to say? Oh yeah, Grandpa, just uh, just just go with this the way I do. And <laughs> yeah. he knows full well that you know he knew. Uh, and, yeah, he he's gone a few years now, but he knew that I didn't know the life that he knew. We all have mm. our own unique experiences, and we're never going to perfectly see eye to eye on that. I think we can respect one another. Yeah, and I agree. It, it amuses the heck out of me when rationalists come to me and tell me that I'm an idiot for having faith, um, because uh, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, whether you be, you know, if you're an atheist, you also have a lot of faith. You just mm. you just call that rationality, but you're but if you believe that there is yeah. no deity, which is by the way a non-falsifiable hypothesis, and therein lies the problem, you can't prove God exists, and you can't prove God doesn't exist. And given that catch-22, atheism requires exactly as much faith as religion. Oh, my God. Doctor, or I would love to see you on a podcast debating that. I would love it. Oh, my God. People need to hear you. I mean, because the way you explain things, I love it. I love it, love it, love it. And I, I don't think people should shy away from it because I do agree with you. Like, your grandfather. Like, who are you to judge why he believes the way he does. You understand it, you know? You respect it. Well, the thing is, I don't understand it, but I certainly respect it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't understand, but but that's the point. I don't. Yeah, you can't possibly. I get it. All right, so this is a big one, and I asked one of my listeners what they thought of this, and, of course, they said easier said than done. If you're living the life you want at no cost to others you're successful regardless of whether whatever it is doesn't fit mainstream concepts have you always felt like that because that's a great thing to feel but i think it's like for this this young man and and young woman they're in their 20s and in college and they thought that was a really tough thing well the part of this is how people conceive of success and that's the point 
We have very, very narrow definitions of success, and I put that out there to broaden the definition of what it means to be successful. Okay. But I think so many, like they say, they feel they're not sure if they're doing what they want to do or they're doing it because their parents wanted them to do it. And it's hard for them to separate it. So that's a totally different question. And, you know, as you know, this is always a challenge as we grow up, you know, we, we start out, as, you know, we, we are we start out as members of families and we remain members of families. But those relationships are something that we need to renegotiate over time. So the, the you know, the two people that you're referring to, they're they're developing their identities and they're developing their uniqueness and they're trying to figure out who they are and what is the life that they want. And yeah. as they do that, if they can figure out the lives that they want to live and they can do it without taking from other people, I would call that success. Whereas, you know, some people think that you need like the fame, the fortune, this, that, or like you have to yeah. hit this milestone, this level. And I think that you know, that, that ignores what people want. It's telling people what to want. And one of the reasons why I want to redefine success in this way is I don't think anybody gets to tell folks what they should want. I mean, we can offer values and, you know, within families, within cultures, within villages, for lack of a better term, we do instill values in yeah. people. And we try to live values-based lives, but that's not, that's not every aspect of the life that we want, so to speak. So yeah. if we can manage to decide what we want in life, to have it, to live it, and we're not taking or costing others when we do it, I mean, I think, mm. I think that that is the mark of success. I agree. I mean, it's, it's hard. I think it's difficult. I, I mean, even at my age, I think I have to remind myself, you know, not to get caught up in am I doing enough or what others expect of me. And I have to take a step back almost every day and, and remind myself, what do I want? What am I going after? Because I can feel the pressure of, well, what, what have you, I don't know if you ever feel this like way, but like, what have you done lately? And I yeah, can all the time. up in that. Oh, okay. <laughs> all the time. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, part of part of my part of the you know I mentioned that I'm a, a workaholic, and I think part of that workaholism is just the feeling that I've I've never quite done enough, and there's 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 always something else to do, and I you know I gotta you know do this thing, and I gotta do that thing, and I gotta do more of this, and I gotta do more of that, and yeah, I, and I and I do have that I do have those fears, and they they do eat into me. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely experienced that. Yeah, and I even, I think it's going to go away, but it doesn't go away. Like, I'm like, like, like the same thing. Did I do enough? Did I contribute enough? Well, I could have done more. I should have, I should have spent other time on that. And yet I know if I was advising my clients and students, I would say the complete opposite, you know? Yeah, probably so, the same. Yeah, position heal thyself, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's jump. I want to make sure I get all these in here. Knowing yourself is a key step in self-actualization. So this young lady, young lady, she's 35 years old. She wants to know, well, what's the first step in doing that? So along with ascertaining your uniqueness, knowing yourself, I would say the first step is just knowing those little preferences because those are things that you're often very much certain about. So... Just walk us through it. Like you say, knowing your preferences. Let's just do it again. 
Sure, it's it's things like you know your tastes and distastes, the food you like, the music you like, um, the clothes you like, the art you like, the places you like. Each of these little things, the friends you like, the TV shows, the movies, every every single piece of you know things that you like and don't like, they're going to come out as being uniquely yours. And once you can get that list down, first of all, you can start looking yeah. for patterns. But second of all, you can even ask yourself, why do you like it? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Why do you like it? I think this is huge. It, it just makes it like so doable, you know? Not that big one thing, because I hear it all the time. Like, I don't know that one thing that I'm going to impact the world with. I hear that all the time. I don't know if you hear it. Yeah, I do. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I developed this. Is like the, just the idea that you learn these little bits about yourself, and then you put them together. I mean, we're not, we're not single finished prefab pieces. We're mosaics. Mosaics. All right. I love it, love it, love it. All right, I got to make sure I get this in there, because I know at the beginning we talked about that you did not develop reverse engineering. It's been out there for a while. But for my audience who doesn't know what that means, can you just talk a little bit about reverse engineering? I did watch your TEDx talk. It was awesome. I'm so glad. Um, so reverse engineering, the idea is that we, we take it, we open it up, we see how it works, and then we rebuild it to work for us. So... I know you mentioned that you feel like a lot of self-help is just, it's most books that's too generic because not that they can't help you, but they don't know you. Yeah. And it really, I mean, as far as the reverse engineering, and like you say, you're taking it apart for your uniqueness. Is this something you can do on your own or is this something to be guided with a counselor or therapist? I mean, I think you could do it either way. And I mean, just just to give okay. you one example, like, you know, as, as unscientific as it may be, um, I'm actually a fan of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a good book. Oh. But it once again, it's too generic in and of itself. It's something that you sort of have to find the core of each of these seven habits. And, and one of the things I like about Covey is that he actually does put it in there, like the, the core thing that you got to know, and then gives a lot of examples puts a lot of scaffolding around it. You're going to have to reverse engineer that part. But I, that's true. funnily enough, he also sort of that's hints true. at that as well, that you, you, need to, you need to sort of deconstruct what it is, find the core piece of information, and then, you know, rebuild the advice around your life, your circumstances. And not everything is going to be relevant to you the same way at the same time. That's true. That's true. I can tell I you, like I've read that, that book probably four or five different times, and it looks a little different every time because I'm a different age. I'm in a different <laughs> place in life. I know. Isn't that true? You know, I, I take works, and they're like, Cindy, you already did that before. I go, yeah, like the power of focus, but I did it three years ago. I'm not at the same place I am, you know? So I hear different things I've never even heard before. Dr. Orton, this has been great. I mean, I really love talking to you, but we got to wrap it up here. So I have some fun rapid-fire questions for you. Do you sure. mind? All right. Go for These it. are fun things. All right. Favorite food? Ooh, that's hard. I'm going to go with tea. <laughs> of all the questions. <laughs> what is it? Tea. I love tea. All right. I'm drinking tea right now. I always drink tea when I do my podcast. As am I, actually. Favorite color? Are you really? Yes. And I love it. I mean, I'm such, I'm such a geek. I, only, I buy a lot of fresh teas, but I also buy yogi tea. 
because they have the little sayings on the side of them. I don't know if you ever know. Like this one says, find strength in knowing that you can make a difference in the world. It's so geeky, but it makes me smile every time. All right. Uh, favorite color? So I've got a bunch of those, but I'll, I'm just going to go with teal for today. All right. Teal. Something you can tell us about yourself that most people won't know. So I get asked all these questions about myself. So it's, uh, it's, it's actually kind of tricky. Well, we also now we know about the uh, roller skating. Not roller yeah, skating, I was about to say it's usually it's usually skating. the roller skating. Most people never find out that I that I that I love roller skating. Um, so that that that's usually the one that I bust out. Um, so not everybody meets me in person, but um, I, I I sometimes get made fun of for having a largely dichromatic wardrobe, and it's and almost every single day I'm wearing like two colors. Really? Yeah, and uh, you know, in that sense, I, I sort of borrowed a, a trick from any number of uh, startup folks, where I, I pretty much designed my closet so that I could blindly reach in there, grab two things, and they oh, probably God. match. Oh, and that's God. all done yes. deliberately. <laughs> so you don't have to think about it. All right, I got it. I figure. I I one time had my. I'm not good with the fashion and they would always make fun of me so they used to call it geranimals they would put tags on what matched for me because i would just throw things i would get so frustrated like i guess it's the same reason you do what you do so i had like little tags matching things up for me so it's not much different okay actually i thought if about it too much be... so i figured i should probably uh, i should probably do things to let me think about it less well there you go all right so if you could pick any animal to be what animal would you be and why well, you have tough questions. Um, <laughs> All the other yeah, stuff you did was much tougher. <laughs> Depends. I don't really. I don't really think. I'm not an animal person that much. So I don't. I don't really. I don't really think about it so much. Um, and you know, for almost every example I can come up with, there are just the reasons why I wouldn't want to be that animal. But I'll just go with the raccoon <laughs> because they're somewhat known for their curiosity and uh, they they like to look around at everything. I can tell you no one's ever said raccoon in Dr. Tate, so that's cool. Oh, my God. That's funny. All right. Any books that you're reading right now? Gosh, I've got like four. Or a book that you've read. At the moment. But um, so at the moment, I'm working my way through uh, Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive, which I love. And since book four came out in November and I haven't read it yet, so no spoilers, but um, okay. I decided to reread the first three books um, and the uh, and the no- and the uh, novellas uh, just to just to get in the space and get ready for book four. So um, hopefully, going to be getting it soon, and I can't wait. That's what I do on Shabbat uh, on, on the on the Sabbath. I, I do a lot of the fiction reading. Yeah. Okay. What would one of your favorite days look like from morning to night? What would you do? See, the thing don't is, tell me I don't, this is a difficult question. <laughs> well, actually, no, it's not a difficult question. The funny thing about it is what I love is the fact that um, every day is different. So I, I have four hats that I like to wear. Uh, one is as a researcher. One is as a writer. One is as a consultant. Mm. And one is as a teacher. So I think, you know, my ah. ideal day would have each of those things in it. Some research, some writing, some teaching, some consulting. Okay. Almost done here. 
If I say the word universe, what does universe mean to you? The great big expanse of stuff, and since I'm religious, I believe it was invented by God. <laughs> okay. I knew you were going to go there. What do you like doing in your spare time? What's a hobby that time. you love doing? So uh, I, I know, actually we just went through that. I was afraid I to know, ask I love dancing. Part. Actually, no, I have hobbies, and uh, they, they matter a lot to me. So I love uh, social dancing. And um, oh. I do I do ballroom of different types. So I love swing. I love uh, blues. I love West Coast. Uh, I love uh, you know Lindy Hop West Coast swing, uh, tango, and uh, I'm actually I actually do some blues dancing and some fusion dancing, which is uh, just a mix of you know many different styles. And there are actually dances where you know people bring in music where you can move to a bunch of different uh, styles, which mm. I really enjoy. And I love the social aspect of it, the improvisational aspect of it, and, you know, working with different partners to just create a good dance. Mm. By the way, you could have said that as far as something somebody might not know about you, because I never would have guessed that. Actually, most people know that about me, so. Okay. That's true. Most people you know. All right. We got to wrap up here. Thank you so much for being on. But before we go, tell us how we can reach you. So there are a couple different ways. One is through my website, which is www.qllab.org, qllab.org. And I'm on both Twitter and Medium as D-R-O-R-I-N-D-A-V-I-S. So that's droraindavis.medium.com, and that's my blog. Or you can find me on Twitter at droraindavis. All right, cool. All right, my let's keep it real people. I think you're going to say Dr. Davis really kept it real. So before we go, make sure you share, you like, you tell your friends, support us on Patreon. Thanks, Dr. Oren. I really appreciate your time. Toodles, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.